Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, as I mentioned last week, we're living through extraordinary times. We witnessed the end of this extremely important consequential papacy of John Paul II, and now the beginning of this papacy of Pope Benedict XVI, Joseph Ratzinger. Last week I took the opportunity to tell you some of the story of Josef Ratzinger, from his birth in Bavaria in 1927, through his theological studies, up into the time that he participated in a major way at the Second Vatican Council. What I want to do today is to continue this story, to tell the, the narrative of, of Ratzinger's life up until the present time, to give us a better and clearer sense of who this man is, that the Cardinals have chosen, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to guide the Church now for the next many years. When I closed last sermon, we had reached the point where Josef Ratzinger was a professor of theology at Tübingen University in southwest Germany. The major leagues of German theology, probably the most important university and the most important theological faculty in Germany. I mentioned he was something of a superstar, this Peritus at Vatican II, Students flocked to his courses. Right around this time, he wrote a book, which I think is his best book, one that I've been using up here at the seminary for the past 10 years. One I'd recommend to you, if you want to get a sense of this sophisticated, subtle mind of Josef Ratzinger, read the book called Introduction to Christianity. It's a series of meditations on the Apostles' Creed, on the basics of Christian faith. But it's done in the light of Vatican II, in the light of very contemporary concerns, he shows a deep interest in modern culture, and in light of the great tradition of the Church. To my mind, it's one of the best examples of a book that combines the best of the old and the best of the new. Read it, The Introduction to Christianity. It was published in 1968, that revolutionary year, and it became a bestseller widely read in Europe, and then widely read in a number of different languages around the world. People who were eager to understand what Vatican II meant, what these changes meant for the Church, got that book, and it's still worth reading. Now, when you read most of the accounts of Josef Ratzinger's life, they put a lot of stress on this period I'm at right now, right around 1968, 69, 1970. Did Josef Ratzinger change this conciliar paritas, this leader of the progressives, did he change and become a conservative? Well, that's a bit too simplistic. Let me try to put my finger on, I think, what happened. I think the victorious progressive at the council, so I include here Hans Kung, Edward Skilebecks, Karl Rahner, Josef Ratzinger, many others. The victorious progressives split in the years after the council into two camps. One, a more left-leaning camp that said, let's continue the reforms. 
let's deepen and broaden the reforms that were commenced at the council. The other camp, and I think Ratzinger belongs to this one, began to say yes to Vatican II. Yes, the council's wonderful. But certain trends and tendencies have come into the church since the council which are not altogether savory. If I can oversimplify a bit, that old adage, we should be in the world, but not of the world. Certainly, Ratzinger remained an adept of the Nouvelle Theologie. And one of the concerns I mentioned last week of the Nouvelle Theologie was to bring the church into the world, to get it out from behind these high medieval walls, so that the church should be in the world, absolutely, says Ratzinger. But, not of the world. I think he and others began to fear in the late 60s, early 70s, that the church was being co-opted too much by certain trends in the modern culture. That there tended to be a collapse of the supernatural into the natural, a collapse of the vertical into the horizontal, if you will, turning the church simply into a social service organization. The church becoming an echo of modern secularism rather than a challenge to it. So Ratzinger begins to move in a somewhat different direction, never repudiating the council, but concerned about certain trends in the period after the council. Another indicator. These victorious progressives, all the people I mentioned and many others, became the founding board of a theological journal called Concilium, the Council. Concilium still exists. The purpose of that journal was to carry forth the spirit and the ideals of the Vatican Council. Well, Josef Ratzinger was on the founding board of that journal. He wrote for it, helped to edit it. In the late 60s, though, early 70s, a split occurred. Certain people, including Ratzinger, broke from the Concilium board. And they founded a new journal called Communio. They both exist. One way to understand the life of the church after the council is, are you more of a Concilium person or more of a Communio person? Now, here's how Ratzinger himself explained why he broke with Concilium. He said three reasons. One was, he said, the editors of Concilium seemed not to want Vatican II anymore. They already wanted Vatican III. In other words, before we'd even begun to implement Vatican II properly, they were already looking for further and greater reforms. He said, no, no, we first must deal with Vatican II. Second reason, he began to fear that the editors of Concilium wanted to become an alternative magisterium. That is to say, a second magisterium alongside that of the Pope and the bishops. And Ratzinger said, for all the accomplishments of theologians at the council, they were not an alternative magisterium. And that meant a real split in the life of the church. Third reason why he broke, and one that I find really fascinating. He said, it began to occur to him, I don't want to perpetuate the spirit of the council. Now, we have to be careful to see what he means here. Are councils good in the life of the church? Yes. They're important. Occasionally, the church must pause 
and ask some deep questions about itself. It has to pause and wonder about some basic questions. So going back to the Council of Nicaea and Chalcedon, coming up to the Council of Trent, and now into modern times. Yes, it's good for us to pause. But we also turn from a council, he realized, with a certain relief. Glad it's over. Because during a council, the church, as it were, throws itself into question. It suspends its own life. How important, Ratzinger said, once the council's over, to get back to the life of the church. It began to occur to him that if we perpetuate the spirit of the council, then we're in a perpetual state of doubt. We're in a perpetual state of, of suspended animation. Let the church be itself, which means the life of prayer. It means the liturgy. It means the works of mercy. That's why communio became the name of his journal. Because the communio of the church, that's what it's finally all about. So he does evolve, let's say. He does move away from his former colleagues at Concilium and begins to move in a different direction. The 1970s unfold. He leaves Tübingen, becomes a professor at the University of Regensburg in Germany. 1977. In one of his last great Episcopal appointments, Paul VI chooses this theologian whom he knew at Vatican II. He picks him as the Archbishop of Munich. And in very short order, again one of his last acts, he makes him a cardinal in 1977. Then 1978, Paul VI passes away, succeeded by John Paul I, who reigned, as you remember, just for 33 days. And then John Paul II is elected, Karol Wojtyła. At this point now, the lives of Wojtyła and Ratzinger begin to come together. And it's not surprising. They share a very similar intellectual heritage and trajectory. Both Wojtyła and Ratzinger grew up in a time when culture had turned demonic. Both were, were victimized by the Nazi terror. Both were adepts of the Nouvelle Theologie as young men. Both were enthusiastic participants at Vatican II. Wojtyla as a young bishop, Ratzinger as a young theologian. And, and, both had become somewhat skeptical of certain trends in the church after Vatican II. So, it's not too surprising that Karl Wojtyla, John Paul II, chose Cardinal Ratzinger to be his prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, his chief doctrinal officer, the man charged with maintaining the integrity of Catholic doctrine. And that was the job now that Josef Ratzinger held from 1981 all the way through to his election as Pope Benedict XVI. What was that work like? I'd recommend that you get a little book called The Ratzinger Report. It's an interview he did with an Italian journalist, came out in 1984, and Ratzinger there gives voice to a number of his concerns about the church 20 years after the Vatican Council. Just a couple things I'll point to. One was his deep concern about liberation theology. Should the church be in the world for the poor? Yes! And that's a good theme of the Nouvelle Theologie. Nothing wrong with that. But it began to bother Cardinal Ratzinger that liberation theology, this movement coming up out of Latin America that combined certain themes of, of Marxist social theory with Christianity, had compromised too much 
the supernatural character of the church. Collapsing the supernatural into the natural, turning salvation into political liberation. More to it, it had used Marxist social theory, which is very antagonistic, when a Christian social theory cannot be antagonistic. So Ratzinger becomes a sharp critic of Marxism and liberation theology. But, to be fair, he also was very critical of tendencies within the liberal democracies of the West, our own culture, in its individualism, in its consumerism, in its materialism, the West had become practically atheistic, he worried. And most pointedly, with our huge stress on freedom and autonomy, we had broken the essential link between freedom and truth. If freedom is paramount, then truth is simply a matter of what I decide, what I want it to be. And so Rotzinger becomes just as vigorously a critic of the West. Well, now listen, in our political situation, if you're a critic of excessive consumerism, materialism, the excesses of these uh, autonomous systems, well, that makes you much more of a liberal. But was he, I think, a fairly even-handed, gospel-based critic of excesses on both sides of the divine? And that way, he was very close to the mind of Karl Wojtyla, John Paul II. So this man now, whose career we've traced, whose thought we've followed, is the new pope, Benedict XVI. What will he do? Well, we have some indications, but in detail we don't know. And that's part of the beauty of it. The Holy Spirit blows where he wills. The Holy Spirit, through the cardinals, has chosen this man, this extraordinary man, this man of subtle and complex mind. What will he do? Maybe we should allow ourselves, in the Holy Spirit, to be surprised. Above all, we must pray for him. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.